But tonight, let's go ahead and go to Jeremiah chapter 18, same place we started off this morning. I'm going to try to keep it kind of short tonight because um, I'm hungry for the pizza and everything, so I'm looking forward to that. But uh, and I know how people get when they start getting hungry, and they know there's food waiting. So uh, we'll try to keep it. We'll try to keep it short tonight, and uh, it's going to be a challenge. I got a lot of stuff I want to try to cover, a lot of scripture I want to look at, and tonight my message is. It's gonna. It might get a little deep. All right. I, I tried really hard to make. I, w- I want this to be clear. I want everybody to get something from it. But um, the message that I preached this morning, while I, you know, I didn't like steal the outline or anything like that, it was not by any stretch an original message. I've heard a lot of preachers preach a message similar to what I preached this morning from those passages of Scripture. It's a very common thing preached about and very appropriate. You know, very good message. Uh, and I'm not saying what I preached this morning was good, but that whole message from those passages is very good. But as I was thinking about those Scriptures this week and as I was thinking about that song that we sang this morning, all of a sudden it kind of hit me. I was like, you know, I think there's a lot more to that passage. There's actually something specific. And I, and I was at work and I'm thinking about it. And when I got home... Uh, I you know, immediately went to my Bible and started looking at all these passages of Scripture, and I could not believe the way it all came together um, in you know Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then even in the New Testament. We see whenever the potter and the clay are mentioned in the New Testament, it's quoting Old Testament Scripture. And it makes it crystal clear what the Bible is talking about, and it's something that really ought to excite us. Okay, And so, before we read this passage... I want you know I want to kind of get you thinking a little bit here, but you all we don't have time to go through the whole history of the Bible, but you all know what happened in the first 1656 years. If you go and read Genesis, the world got so wicked that God finally says, you know what, enough's enough, and He killed the whole world with the exception of one family that was Noah and his family. And then if you go and you read after the flood, it was only a short time, maybe a couple hundred years. All of a sudden, we have the whole Tower of Babel story. Okay, the world got wicked again, didn't they? And then after the Tower of Babel story, you've got Abraham, and pretty much Abraham was one that God chose to raise up a nation, to raise up uh, believers, and God promised that all the world was going to be blessed through his seed, and we know that was referring to specifically Jesus Christ. And so you've got Abraham, and then you have Isaac. Even though he had two sons, it was Isaac that was chosen. And then Isaac had two sons, but it was Jacob that God chose. And then Jacob had twelve sons where the twelve tribes of Israel came from. Okay, And so then, that the twelve tribes of Israel, they were God's people, right? Israel was God's people. They were the ones that God gave His law to. They were the ones that... You know, wrote the Bible that we have, and they were the ones that all the promises were given to. And when you look throughout the Old Testament, God doesn't say a whole lot of good things about people out that were not Jews. It refers to them as the heathen, okay, many times. And they, you know, the other nations, the other families, they were wicked. God didn't even want them marrying people from these other nations. He didn't want intermarrying and things going on because or you could say interracial marriage back then, it was a bad thing because those heathens were heathens. They were wicked. They would always bring in their other gods. And then, we, of course, in the New Testament, we see that now God has made us all of one blood. Okay, But at the, back then, it was different. Okay, And so then, Israel, though, even though they were God's people, even though God had given them His law, even though God did all that He could to get them in line, He sent them judges, He sent them kings, He did all these things to try to get Israel to do right, they still did wrong, didn't they? And then He sent prophets along. He sent guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah along to try to warn these people to get them to turn back to God, and they didn't, did they? And we're going to look at some of those passages here in a little bit. But then as a result, they got taken captive. And I'm kind of just quickly giving you a whole history of the Old Testament here. They got taken captive and first by the Babylonians and the Medes and Persians took them over and all these things happened. But then God, during Cyrus' time, allowed Israel to go back to their land. And they rebuilt the temple. And then you've got about 400 silent years that the Bible doesn't talk about. And then we go into the New Testament where we see the Messiah show up. We see Jesus Christ come on the scene 
But something happens with Israel during that time. What did Israel do? They rejected their Messiah, didn't they? They rejected the Messiah. They crucified Him. And multiple passages of Scripture credits the Jews and Israel for crucifying the Lord. And then in the book of Acts, you see all of a sudden God starts to do a work with the Gentiles. Okay? And you start seeing Gentiles get saved. People from heathen nations getting saved. And you see very few Jewish people getting saved. And there's a teaching out there that I've been accused of believing this, but I've never been comfortable with this term because what comes with this term I know is not completely accurate, and that's the whole replacement theology uh, term. And I said, I get accused of believing that, but I've, ne- I've never really liked that term, and I've never been able to really think of a good term that, that kind of explains it. But after I studied these passages about the potter and the clay, I think it's very clear at least what it was. I came up with a word for it. I'll tell you in a little bit, but it's a terrible word. It's not even a real word, but it makes perfect sense after you see what the Bible says. But basically, you know, what happened to Israel? Okay? Because after the Bible, okay, in 70 AD, Israel got destroyed, didn't it? They got wiped out, the temple was destroyed, and Israel no longer existed as a nation. Okay? And we don't have time to get into a whole lot of this, but then in 1948, you know, God raised up Israel again, and no, He didn't. Okay, uh, I'm sorry. What happened in 1948? Uh, if it was anything prophetic, it's part of the rise of the Antichrist. Uh, this was not God uh, restoring Israel, and we're going to find out exactly what happened to Israel because the truth is, Israel never has gone away. Israel has always been. It has always been around. It has never been gone, and it was not restored in 1948. Israel had not gone away. So what are you talking about? Well, let's look at what Jeremiah chapter 18 says, and it's very clear. Too many times people, when it comes to replacement theology, they you know they just use New Testament and don't use Old Testament. And then when you've got people on the other end of that, I don't know what you'd call them, they only use Old Testament and they don't use New Testament. And so... I believe you ought to use both, okay? This Bible, it is amazing the way it goes together. It is amazing how much of the New Testament I talked about in Sunday school this morning is quoting the Old Testament. And this ought to excite us because as far as most of us know, we, you know, don't come from Jewish lineage, okay? I mean, I'm sure all of us probably have at least one Jew in our, our, our you know, ancestry. But at the same time, I don't know if that would qualify and make you a Jew. I, I don't know, to tell you the truth. And thank God it, we know it has nothing to do with ancestry these days. But anyway, let's look at what Jeremiah chapter 18 says. And we're going to find out where Israel was during that whole time from 70 AD to 1948. You know, And, uh, and I hope this will be a help to you. But Jer- Jeremiah 18, verse 1 says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord, behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. Okay? Is there any doubt here that the potter represents God? Okay? I don't think there's any doubt. Is there any doubt that the clay represents Israel? Okay? I think that's crystal clear. And so understand though that that, that clay, that it was marred in the hand of the potter. And then he re, he remade it. He fixed it. He made it into something else. What does that mean? What is the significance of that? And So let's go ahead and let's continue reading Jeremiah chapter 18. At what instant, verse 7, I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. 
Now therefore, go to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices and we will every one do the imagination of his evil heart. I mean, just look at the rebellion that you see here. God told them, hey, y'all are in trouble. Go tell them they need to get right right now. I will come after them. I will repent of the good that I wanted to do. But they said, no, we're going to do what we want to do. We're going to do evil. Verse 13, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Ask ye now among the heathen, who hath heard such things? The virgin of Israel hath done a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow of Lebanon which cometh from the rock of the field? Or shall the cold flowing waters that come from another place be forsaken? Behold, my people have forgotten me. They have burned incense to vanity. They have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in paths in a way not cast up to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Everyone that passeth thereby shall be astonished and wag his head. I will scatter them with an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. Then said they, Come and let us devise devices against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us smite him with the tongue and let us not give heed to any of his words. What good is that going to do attacking the messenger? I mean, you know, don't you hate that when you have to give bad news and people get mad at you? And this was not Jeremiah's fault. He's just being obedient to God and they said, you know what? We're coming. Let's go after Jeremiah. We don't like what he's saying. And then look at verse 19. Give heed to me, O Lord, and hearken to the voice of them that contend with me. Shall evil be recompensed for good? For they have digged a pit for my soul. Remember that I stood before thee to speak good for them and to turn away thy wrath from them. If you read early in Jeremiah, God's telling Jeremiah all these things He's going to do to Israel. And Jeremiah's like, no, Lord, don't do that. Lord, don't do these things to them. And now we see him completely changing his tune. He sees how wicked Israel is, and he sees that they're coming for him, and he's like, you know, hey, Lord, remember what I prayed before about not going after them? Cancel that. Get him. You know, that's pretty much what he's saying. And you know, I, I think I can understand how he feels. I feel that way with America sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, forgive our country. And then other times I'm like, Lord, get him. You know, just, but verse 21, Therefore, deliver up their children to the famine and pour out their blood by the force of the sword and let their wives be bereaved of their children and be widows and let their men be put to death. Let their young men be slain by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from their houses when thou shalt bring a troop suddenly upon them. For they have digged a pit to take me and hid snares for my feet. Yet, Lord, thou knowest all their counsel against me to slay me. Forgive not their iniquity, neither blot out their sin from thy sight, but let them be overthrown before thee. Deal thus with them in the time of thine anger. So, man, this is Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and he's just, he's fed up with Israel. He's like, Lord, go ahead and get them. And listen, I know, you know, part of the problem when it comes to a lot of doctrinal things in the Bible, we tend, we want to make it so easy, alright? We need to, we're going to have to read some scripture tonight. We're going to have to look at a lot of scripture. And I know when you preach, you're supposed to just do a few verses and then hear what I had to say. But you know what? That's not, we can't do that tonight, alright? For me to prove this to you, we have to look at a lot of scripture. And so we just looked at all of chapter 18. I think it's very clear what it's talking about. You know, Israel needs to be, you know, God has told them, I'm going to destroy you if you do not turn from your ways. At the beginning, we see that potter's house, the story there, and we have, and God says, you know, I can take Israel and I can make them into something good, alright? And so now in chapter 19, so in chapter 18, is basically a prophecy of how God is going to remake Israel. Israel's rejected God. And God is going to remake them in a way that it includes the heathen. It no longer is just about Israel. It's no longer just about the physical seed of Abraham. We're going to see back here in Jeremiah, God begins to prophesy that He is going to now include the heathen. And when He remakes Israel, okay, it's still Israel, but it's not just 
the seed of Abraham in there, the physical seed, the heathen get included in there too. And we should be thrilled about that. You know, we've been talking a lot about families in the last several weeks. And, you know, there's a. Is it, anybody ever noticed how a lot of the problems that we have in our families, it's like we got some of those problems, you know, our, the previous generations had those same problems? You know? And we do, we inherit a lot of baggage sometimes for our families. Sometimes we inherit good things, sometimes we inherit bad things. But the truth is, with Christ, it does not matter what your DNA is. It does not matter where you came from. You can come from a long line of heathens, but you can be a Christian family. You can still be blessed by God. You can raise your family and start a new generation that can be used of God in a great way. You don't really see that in the Old Testament, do you? But we see that all the time in the New Testament. We see people come out of heathen families and go on and live for God, are blessed by God in a great way. And God is able to do that because basically the New Testament, the New Covenant, we're going to see in just a little bit. So now look at chapter 19. Because Jeremiah 19, this is basically where God pronounces judgment that's going to come to Israel for their sins. And we don't have time to go into this. I wish we did. But... Y'all heard of the Battle of Armageddon, right? Okay, the battle, and the, basically the Battle of Armageddon. What people believe about the Battle of Armageddon is that's where Christ is going to come, and He's going to—I mean—wipe out the armies of the earth, and the blood's going to flow through the valley, and it's going to flow up to the horse's bridle. Okay, and sadly, as a result of lack of study and a lot of things, everybody thinks that happens at the Valley of Armageddon. But the Bible only says the armies were gathered there. The actual battle where the blood flows to the horse's bridle, it happens right outside Jerusalem. And I don't have time to preach that and prove to you that this all, that whole battle that we all know about, the final battle, happens right outside Jerusalem. That is exactly where it happens. So this battle that we're going to look at here, the judgment that God pronounces, this is what most would call the Battle of Armageddon. Okay, But it should be probably the Battle of the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Because that's that's where it's going to take place. That's where the blood flows to the horse's bridle. Don't have time to straighten everybody out on that tonight. But anyway, uh, Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, Go and get a potter's earthen bottle, and take of the ancients of the people and of the ancients of the priests, and go forth unto the valley of the son of Hinnom. That is right outside the walls in Jerusalem. On Wednesday we went and we did uh, we showed some pictures of that area, which is by the entry of the east gate, that eastern gate in Jerusalem. And proclaim there the words that I shall tell thee, and say, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, the which whosoever heareth his ears shall tingle. I love the sound of that. Well, that just that sounds scary. And because they have forsaken me and have estranged this place and have burned incense in it unto other gods whom neither they nor their fathers have known nor the kings of Judah and have filled this place with the blood of innocence, they have built also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. We don't have time to go into all the history of what happened in that valley of the son of Hinnom. There there are so many stories in the Bible of horrible wickedness that was done. That's where they would have the children pass through the fire. That's where they would do a lot of the worship they would do to the false gods. They did it right outside that eastern gate down in that valley, the valley of the son of Hinnom. And after all those sins they committed there, God has said, one of these days, I'm going to come and that's going to be called the valley of slaughter. I'm going to... I mean, there's going to be a massacre like we've never seen before there. And it has not happened yet. Verse 7, And I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place. And I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hands of them that seek their lives. And their carcasses will I give to be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth. And you can see a lot of these things talked about almost verbatim in Revelation chapter... 
oh, what was it? 14 and 19. We don't have time to go there. But it says, And I will make the city desolate and in hissing. Everyone that passeth thereby shall be astonished and hiss because of all the plagues thereof. And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. And they shall eat everyone the flesh of his friend in the siege and straightness wherewith their enemies and they that seek their lives shall straighten them. Then shalt thou break the bottle in the sight of the men that go with thee, and shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Even so will I break this people and this city as one breaketh a potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in Tophet till there be no place to bury. Thus will I do unto this place, saith the Lord, and to the inhabitants thereof, eat and even make this city as Tophet, the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah shall be defiled as the place of Tophet because of all the houses upon whose roofs they have burned incense unto all the hosts of heaven and have poured out the drink offerings unto other gods. Then came Jeremiah from Tophet, whither the Lord had sent him to, the prophet, to prophesy. And he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon this city and upon all her towns all the evil that I have pronounced against it, because they have hardened their necks that they may not might not hear my words. And I read all that to show you that event is what we call the battle of Armageddon. That is the final battle. That has not happened yet. It is going to happen. One of these days, at the end of the seven years, Jesus Christ, He is going to return and He is going to slaughter the armies of the earth. They are all going to come together to fight there and it's going to be, it's going to be bad. There's a lot that the Bible talks about. You know, I mean, the blood flowing to the horse's bridle. I mean, you can't even imagine the blood that is going to flow that day. He is going to destroy these armies with the word of His mouth. And then if you read, we're not going to read Jeremiah chapter 20, but after Jeremiah tells this prophecy, he's there in Tophet, right there. Uh, if, if you can picture it today, um, we all know the Dome of the Rock. Okay, we've all seen that. And if you, that's the Eastern Gate right there, right outside there, in front of that. That's where the Valley, of the Son of Hinnom is, or Tophet. And Jeremiah's there. He gets gets his prophecy. He goes in through that Eastern Gate. He's there at, in Jerusalem. He tells them this stuff. And what do they do? They throw him in prison. Throw him in prison. That's what they did to the prophets. Jesus talked about that, how He would send prophets to them and they would stone them, they'd beat them, they would even kill them because of the things that they did, just because they told the truth. And so God, He's made it clear what is going to happen. It is not going to end good for them. Okay, But then, when you go on in Jeremiah, and we're going to look at some of these in a little bit, we see all these wonderful promises to Israel. After God has told them He is going to basically destroy them in this big day, we see later in Jeremiah, we see good prophecies concerning Israel. What's he talking about? Well, understand that these good promises that are made, he is talking about the remade Israel. He's talking about Israel after the potter, God as the potter has gotten a hold of them and He has made them into something else. Something that He sees fit. And we're going to see what He was talking about is basically including the heathen with Israel. With the saved Jews. Because unfortunately, many people are trying... They've got this idea that people got saved different ways throughout history. But everyone's always gotten saved the same way. They got saved through belief. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe God. You know, Believing in God, believing in Christ, it's the same thing. They all got into heaven not by the sacrifices of lambs and things. It was always by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. By His blood that He shed. Okay? The Gentile church. There is no Gentile bride. Okay? There, there is no bride for the Jews and a bride or a bride for God, the Jews, and a bride for Christ, the Gentiles. No, it's all one bride. We are all one group. And we're going to see that as we look at some of these other passages. So let's look at some kind of parallels. When we look at the potter and the clay references, and we look at them in the Old Testament and New Testament, it makes it very clear that what I just claimed about Jeremiah chapter 18, what it represents, it makes it very clear that that's exactly right. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 29. This might be kind of hard to follow along because 
I'm kind of looking at parallels. And I cheated. I've got in my notes up here, I actually made the parallels. I got one side, the one passage, and the other side, the New Testament passage, and I got the things highlighted where it's actually quoting those things. So it's a little easier for me to pick this up because I got it right here in front of me. I probably should have gave everybody one of these. But go to Isaiah chapter 29. And apologize, we've got to read a lot of Scripture. All right, hopefully you're not offended by that. But uh, <laughs> I, th- I think we don't look at enough many times. But it says in verse 1, Woe to Ariel! What's, what's Ariel? No, it's not a mermaid. No. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's another name for Jerusalem. Okay? This, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. Okay? David, he was the king in Jerusalem and Judah. This is another word for Jerusalem. Uh, and add ye year to year, let them kill sacrifices. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be unto me as Ariel, and I will camp against thee round about, and I will lay siege against thee with a mount, and I will raise forts against thee, and thou shalt be brought down, and shalt speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall be low out of the dust, and thy voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. Moreover, the multitude of thy strangers shall be like small dust, and the multitude of terrible ones shall be as chaff that passeth away. Yea, it shall be an instant suddenly. Thou shalt be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and a great noise, with storm and tempest and the flame devouring fire. I'd make a note of that one in your Bible. and I don't know if that sounds familiar to anybody, but... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna look at what that's talking about in a little bit, but I would mark that verse in my Bible. And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, even all that fight against her and her munition and that distresser shall be as a dream of a night vision. It shall even be as when an hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh. And behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Stay yourselves and wonder. Cry ye out and cry, they that are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I am not learned. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. And I'm going to stop there for a minute. He's basically telling them, hey, you're going to, I'm going to close your eyes. You are not going to be able to understand the Scripture. And have you ever noticed, you know, when you read the Old Testament, it's like, how do the Jewish people not realize that Jesus is the Messiah? Right there in Isaiah 29, God's not letting them. Okay, I mean, they're. It's like, are they blind? Yes, they are blind. Okay, and not all of them, not 100 percent of them. We'll see that in a little bit too. But he said, and God basically here, he's saying, I'm going to do a work, and those who aren't learned, they're going to figure it out. Once again, that's talking about the heathen. Verse 15. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. And they say, Who seeth us? And who knoweth us? Surely your turning of these things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, He made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, He had no understanding? This verse is key. We're going to see this referred to in the New Testament. It is not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off. They make a man an offender." 
for a word and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. Therefore, thus saith the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall not now be ashamed. Neither shall his face now wax pale. But when he seeth his children, the work of mine hands in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. Now, what I'm about to say about this passage, what I believe it means, most people would say, nope, you're way off, but I can prove it by what the New Testament says. Okay, So notice how he mentions the deaf. The deaf are going to hear it. The blind are going to be able to see it. Okay, He's talking about the heathen. That people who, remember, the heathen, they were so looked down on. Okay? Not just by the Jews, but even God had nothing good to say about them. And God's telling them, you all, the wise, you're not going to get it. But they will get it. And so now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Or no, I'm sorry, go to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We're not going to go to 1 Corinthians yet. Romans chapter 9 and verse 20. And we're going to see direct quotes from this passage that we just looked at. So we know we're interpreting this right. But verse 20, and I wish we had time to... Well, let's let's read a little bit of Romans chapter 9, right? It's a lot of Bible night. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul wanted the Israelites to get saved. He loved his kinsmen. Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and service of God and the promises? Who are the fathers and of whom is concerning the flesh? Christ came, who is over all. God bless forever. Amen. Not as though the Word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It is said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? We looked at that this morning. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God willing to show His wrath and to make His power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He hath afore prepared unto glory even us whom He hath called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. All right. So right there, kind of proof that that's uh, you know those are talking about the same uh, things is uh, we see that in verse sixteen of Isaiah chapter twenty nine. Surely your turning of these things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it? He made me not. Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it? He hath not understanding. You see that parallel there of the potter or the clay trying to tell the potter what to do. That makes no sense. Alright? And then in um, Revelation chapter 8. Okay, Revelation chapter 8. I want to show you this. I think this is interesting here. Revelation chapter 8. 
I'm not overwhelming you with all this reading, are we? Y'all, y'all getting all this? All right. I'm not. I, I haven't got the trendy skills where I can give you all the slideshows and all the you know the fancy graphics and things to help you out. I don't know if y'all noticed those people aren't really putting out the Bible scholars out of those churches. You know, I think they're dumbing everything down. But anyway, Romans chapter, Revelation chapter eight, verse one. When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. This is right after the rapture, okay? Right after the rapture, we've got that space of silence for about a half an hour. The seven trumpets, okay? The seven trumpets and the vials, those are the wrath of God. We get taken out right before God's wrath. And the angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake." Y'all see that? Remember, we just read about that in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 6. Then shall be visited the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise and storm and tempest and flame and devouring fire. We see those same things there. And I'm try- I guess what I'm trying to get at is show you that it was prophesied that God, He's going after Israel. Okay, they're going to be, de- they're going to be destroyed, but we have the promises after that that are to Israel. What is He talking about? And uh, another parallel passage to kind of help kind of clear these things up if there's any doubt. Isaiah chapter 64 in your Bibles and then uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to kind of be jumping back and forth. So you might want to just make notes and go back and look at these. But Isaiah 64.4 says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee what he hath prepared for him, that waiteth for Him. Anybody recognize that verse? That one is quoted in 1 Corinthians 2.9. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Alright? And then verse 5 of Isaiah 64, Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth. For we have sinned in those in continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing, and our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. Okay, We all quote that all the time, don't we? That our righteousness are as filthy rags. But do you realize that that was specifically talking about Israel? Israel's righteousness was as filthy rags, but God was going to take that sin away. How did He take that sin away? Through the blood of Jesus Christ, right? And so we can claim that too. Our righteousness is as a filthy rag. But Jesus Christ, he, He's cleansed us. And Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. We see in Romans that he is saying the same thing to Gentiles basically that he said about the Jews. We get saved the exact same way as they do. Isaiah 64, 8, after he says that about the righteousness of the filthy rags and all that, but now, O Lord, Thou art our Father, we are the clay, and Thou art the potter, and we are all the work of Thy hand. Be not wroth, very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech Thee, we are all Thy people. The holy cities are a wilderness, Zion is a wilderness, Jerusalem is a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house where our Father... For our fathers praise thee is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? We see all they are going through. We see once again the whole potter and the clay thing that is mentioned there. So basically, and there were so many other things, you know, parallels that we could have went back and forth on. But basically, when we look at this potter and the clay thing, we see that it's clear that. The potter is God. The clay represents Israel. And God said, I'm going to remake it. 
He didn't utterly destroy it. He didn't utterly cast them away. Israel has always been around. It always will be around. But we see that when God remade Israel, He included the Gentiles. We saw in Isaiah chapter 29, I believe it was at the end of it, He says, Therefore saith the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. We didn't spend a lot of time in this. probably should have. Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. But when he seeth his children, the work of mine hands... And we saw in Romans in the same passage where it was, it's, or the same chapter where it quotes things from this passage, we see that God has included us with Jacob. Okay? Very clear. The same thing that God was saying here in Isaiah, the same thing He's saying in Romans, that those are saved. We are children of Abraham. We are the, the, from Isaac and Jacob. We see that very clearly in the New Testament. And these children of Jacob that it's talking about here are the ones that God made with His hands. Okay, Not ones that physically descended from Abraham or Jacob. Okay, That's the natural man. Okay, They are the physical seed, but that spiritual man, that's the one that goes to heaven. That's the one that's saved. The only one that can make a spiritual seed is Jesus Christ. You must be born again to be saved. You can be a natural seed of Abraham, but it's not going to do you a bit of good. It's not going to do anybody a bit of good. And so now go to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, and I, because remember, we've been Jeremiah 18, 19, and 20. We kind of looked at those passages, but now here in Jeremiah 31, we see good things being said about Israel. And look at what it says in verse 31 of chapter 31. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. You see that? He said, I'm going to make a new covenant. Does anybody know another word for covenant? Testament. What do we have in our Bible? We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have the Old Testament. Then who is that given to? It's given to the Jews, wasn't it? Was given to Israel, and we have the New Testament. Okay, that that's ours, right? And I know people are trying to say there's something in the Old Testament for the Jews, but it's very clear in the New Testament that nobody got saved from the Old Covenant, did they? Nobody did. It refers to it as, as Hagar. It refers to it as you know Mount Sinai. It talks about how it gendereth to bondage. No one can keep that Old Covenant. Okay, and God said the day is going to come where I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So I know people are saying, oh, Old Testament, that's just for the Jews. So is the New Testament just for the Jews too? Because who do you say the new covenant is going to be with? Israel and the house of Judah. So can we claim the New Testament or not? Are we all wasting our time even being in church? Let's keep reading verse 32. Not according to the covenant which I made with their fathers, in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts and will be their God. And they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know Me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is His name. If those ordinances depart from me before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. People are using that verse to say, no, Israel's always around forever. Israel's always God's chosen people. And those people over there in Israel today or who that's talking about. No, those people were gone for almost 2,000 years, weren't they? God said they're going to be before me forever. There has always been an Israel, but it's the Israel of this new covenant that God said He's going to make. I'm going to make a new covenant with Israel, with the house of Judah. Verse 37, Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundation of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all they have done, saith the Lord. It's not going to happen. 
I'm not going to cast them all off. And we see in the New Testament, you know, blindness in part has happened to Israel, but we see that Israel, people from Israel can still be saved. Paul said, had God cast away his people, you know, God forbid, he said, I'm an Israelite. He said, God hasn't cast them away. I got saved. I'm proof that God is not done with the children of Israel, but we do see that they were plucked from that olive tree, but they can be grafted in again. And we see also in that passage that God has concluded all of them in unrighteousness, just like the Gentiles. They are in the exact same boat that we are. And this new Israel that's around, it's a remade Israel that we see includes Gentiles. We are included in this. We have the Holy Spirit. We can claim the Word of God. You can look at the Bible and hey, this is God's Word. This is God's book to us. This is God's Word to us. We can claim the promises. When we, we can claim the verse that says, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curseth you. We receive the blessings of Abraham. We see throughout the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 8. Look at Hebrews chapter 8 real quick. We're almost done. Hebrews chapter 8. Verses 6 through 13. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. What's he quoting there? Jeremiah, that passage that we just read. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continue not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord for all that know me from the least to the greatest. Okay, we read all that, didn't we? In Jeremiah. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And in that he saith a new covenant. He hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Old and New Testament. And there are people out there, and unfortunately they call themselves Baptists, that believe this, they'll say this covenant. Well, no, that's one that God makes after we all get raptured out here in the tribulation. Okay, so you believe in an Old Testament, a New Testament, and a newer testament? So are we going to get a whole other section of the Bible after that? No. There's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. No one got saved from the Old Testament. There were people that believed God, but they all got saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus say when He took the Lord's Supper? This cup, this is the, He said this is the New Testament. His blood is what cleanses us from sin. His blood cleansed us. It cleansed the Old Testament saints from sin. And you and I today, descendants of heathen, okay, Americans, it's pretty much a heathen nation now, we can be blessed by God. We can be included. We are able to boldly approach the throne of grace. We don't have to have a high priest here on this earth. We have Jesus Christ as our high priest. He is the mediator. He gave that new covenant and we see it includes the whole world. We see that He said to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Who did He tell that to? He told that to people that were Jews, weren't they? People that were Israel. And in that new covenant He gave Israel, that new covenant He made with Israel, we see He said, I want you to include the Gentiles in that. And we didn't even scratch the surfaces of all the Old Testament passages that prophesied God going to the Gentiles and the Jews rejecting the Messiah. But it is very clear from these passages when you put them together that Israel has never went away. Israel has always been around and we are a part of that today. No matter who we were or who we started out as, thanks to the New Testament, we can now be a part of the nation of Israel. Ephesians chapter 2 says we are of the commonwealth of Israel. We who were once were afar off are made nigh. There was a time when because of who we came from, 
who we were as a race or a people, we couldn't have done anything. We would have been we would have been rejected. We would have been cast out. We would have been refused. But we don't experience that today. No matter who there is out there, where they come from, what their family line is, I mean, they could be related to John Wayne Gacy and they could still be saved, couldn't they, if they'll put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They can receive the blessings of Abraham. They can be a part of Israel. The Old Testament, it was to Israel. The New Testament, it was a covenant with Israel. And yet, we get to claim that. We are Israel. And you know what? I stand with Israel today. I support Israel today. I support the Israel of God. Not the Israel the politicians are all talking about. They're going to just bring the Antichrist. That's all they're going to accomplish. Israel never went away. Israel was not restored in 1948. Israel was already around. They were scattered all over the world. And one of these days, God's going to gather them all back together. In the rapture, we're all going to get we're all going to get brought back together. We're going to be with the Lord one day, and thank God for that. What a privilege that is to be a part of that, and we are able to do it because of that New Testament. We see also in Romans. We didn't have time to go into that, but we that happened because Israel rejected, because they fell, and that that created an opportunity for us. And thank God. Thank God for that. I mean, we are the beneficiaries of their failure. Okay, well, we've all done that. We've all benefited from someone else's mistakes before, you know. And uh, I mean, look at look at the, look at these dirty rats at funeral homes. They're all they're the only ones that smile during funerals. Have you ever noticed that? You know why? They're making money because somebody died. Hey, someone's going to benefit somewhere. <laughs> they rejected the Messiah, and we get to benefit from it. And thank God for that. But thank God also. Even if they descend from there, they can still be saved if they'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If they don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to go to hell just like a heathen. So, I hope that was clear for you tonight. I hope that was a help to you. And this ought to just cause you to thank God that He included us. Jesus included me. Thank God for that. Let's all stand together right now.